Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. Hey, this is Tommy Anolis with Ops Analytica. I want to introduce you guys to version 2.0. We have completely rebuilt the platform from scratch. It is completely designed around giving you real-time visibility into your restaurant operations. You're going to be able to see what has been completed, what hasn't been completed, and where you need to focus your energy uh, and following up with your restaurants, all from our management dashboard. You can slice and dice your data right there on your phone, your tablet, or your laptop. It is amazing. It is the best platform on the market today. I invite you to check us out at opsanalytica.com or search Restaurant Checklist app. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is Tommy Anolis, and welcome to the Order Up show. Uh, very excited to welcome our guest today, Mr. Rob Siegel. Rob, how you doing, man? Doing great, Tommy. How about you? Oh, living the dream, baby. Every day gets better and better. <laughs> so um, Rob is the owner and founder of a company called Trajectory Insights, and they are a consumer insights firm. And basically what they do is they help companies, restaurant chains, food manufacturers, pretty much anybody who hires them, to understand better what their customers want from them. So I thought this would be a great interview to have on the show because we're all out there uh, in the food service industry. We're trying to make, we're trying to come up with new cool ideas and, and determine where our menu's going and determine what kind of concept we want to be. And a lot of time we're doing it from gut and, you know, that's not always the best way to do it as I'm sure Rob will attest to. So um, Rob, the format of the order up show is pretty cool. It's easy. We do the same five questions. Actually, we actually talked beforehand and we're going to modify the third question because it makes more sense for what uh, Rob's doing. But uh, we just basically ask questions and talk and have a nice time and that's it. So the first question though is kind of your bio. So do us a favor, explain what you do today and then take us through your career progression from sort of your first job to how you got to where you are today. And, you know, just the really cool highlight stuff. You don't have to be like, for two months in 1987, I did this. <laughs> well, if we went through my resume, that would all, that, that'd be all we were talking about on this show. Um, but I, now I guess it's coming up on five years I've uh, had trajectory insights. Um, you know, I my, my career has really bounced back and forth between being a market researcher for um, on the corporate side, and then also being a market researcher, like I am today, on what on the corporate side I would have called the supplier side, so or or on the consulting side. Um, my my entrance into restaurants started as director of research for Boston Market. Um, I was there for about six years. Um, you know, so it, it was great at the time, and uh, you know, really learned a lot and. Then I found myself just kind of going back and forth. So sometimes working for the client, like I had said, and sometimes being more of the vendor. Um, my What really pushed me to where I am today were a couple of factors. One was, uh, you know, I, I always liked the security of being on the corporate side uh, until I realized that there wasn't that security anymore. And um, banking on that regular paycheck was uh, not necessarily the right thing to do. Market research is a really tough industry in some ways in that when business is slow, it's a really easy thing to cut. And I'm sure I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, 
but you know, at the end of the day, I like trying to understand consumers. I, tr I like trying to see what either they, either, either what they see as, you know, deficiencies today with uh, the companies that they visit or what might be coming down the road. And so when I started Trajectory Insights, I kind of had a focus, you know, I wasn't going to be able to compete with the really big market research firms. Um, and as a small business, um, I had the, the benefit of being able to focus on small to medium sized companies that probably had, you know, never really thought about doing a lot of research or if they did, didn't know how because of the budget constraints that they might have been under because it's, it's not necessarily an inexpensive undertaking. Um, but what I felt like my company's real, um, you know, real niche, I guess, would be is, you know, I provide um, executive level insights. I've been doing this for uh, 25 years. So I, I really provide a high level of um, experience, but bringing a small company so I really can um, tailor projects to the budgets that my clients have. And you know, I'm, it, it's interesting because I, I, I didn't think I would be going and competing with the larger firms. I figured I'd be focusing on these you know, small to medium sized companies, but through the work that I've done and contacts that I've made, I have had a chance to work for some of the larger restaurant packaged good companies in, in the country and really in the world. So it's been exciting. Um, to help the small guys who wouldn't be able to get into this and to help the big guys who, um, you know, who have a lot of resources and can still appreciate the, uh, the experience and abilities that I bring to the table. Oh, that's really cool. So I have two follow-up questions for you. One, did you know Brian Ferris when you worked over at Boston Market? I do know Brian Ferris. So Brian was my boss at Quiznos back in 0809 when I worked at Quiznos. I worked directly for him for the first like 10 months I was there. And then I moved to operations. He was ops services and then I moved to ops. But uh, he actually uh, gave a lot of feedback and insight into the ops Analytica product before it was ops Analytica back when it was just this thing I was doing in 2012, 2013, you know. I just like showed him the first iteration of of the inspector platform and he was like, Yeah, you should do it like you should change these, tweak these little things. And uh I was in between he was doing other stuff. Anyways, we're getting off on a tangent. So that's cool. Brian's a great guy, by the way. And our birthday's on the same day, which is cool too, I suppose. That's <laughs> so my second follow-up question is so can we just drill in a little bit deeper on uh so what kind of insights are you bringing to your clients? Um, you know, that's a great question. And it's really, it's really very, um, well, it's, it's varied. So, um, you know, I, I do, some clients are interested in just kind of tracking uh, customer satisfaction and loyalty. Um, and so we can set up programs where we're reaching out to their customers either on a continual basis or at certain points um, throughout the year, whether it's annually, quarterly, uh, semi-annually, things like that, just to just so they keep their fingers on the pulse of their customers. But then also we can include um, competitors in that as well. So you can kind of see how they're trending versus 
their main competitors. Uh, and, and, you know, those are pretty standard uh, processes, but, you know, the things that I really prefer, well, I should say prefer, the things I really like doing and really a lot more interesting is I, I, I help companies with branding and rebranding, whether it's at the company level, um, product level, um, and, you know, it's really, you know, understand what differentiates themselves from their competition and that really can lead to, um, you know, messaging, whether it's in-store or website or through advertising, um, product development. So really, you know, making sure that that next, uh, or that their kind of innovation pipeline is full and it's full with the right types of products. Um, it could be packaging. I mean, I, I've really covered kind of all the bases of the work that I've done, which is great. So any any areas of need that, you know, that, that potential clients might have, I have experience in that. And, um, you know, so, so a lot of times, you know, clients think that they know exactly what they want to get. And um, I don't go in saying, okay, here's a solution. I try to go in saying, what are your, you know, issues? What's keeping you up at night? What, um, I think one of the questions I, I heard a researcher a long time ago say that, and I try to include that in all my kind of initial meetings is, um, you know, finish this sentence. I wish I knew blank. And, you know, that kind of gets them focused on what is that one main thing that I just don't know that I really wish I knew. And depending on what that is, I can customize, um, I can customize a solution for them versus just pulling something off the shelf because no, no one's business is, uh, exactly like somebody else's. And so, you know, to really be be small and nimble and, and being able to customize things um, seems to be really helpful. Well, that that's really interesting. So basically, like, so so just to kind of put so for restaurant terms, you know, you're Bennigan's, right? Like Bennigan's went out of business a couple of years ago. I think somebody's trying to revive them right now. But they had like 300 plus stores. And I remember at one time, Benigan's was like the hottest place you could go, you know, it was like them and TGI Fridays back in the 80s. But like you're sitting here in Benigan's and you're going, man, our traffic's down. We have decent locations. We, you know, we were the, we were the, you know, the thing 20 years ago or Fridays today might be in the same boat, right? Like how do we, how do we morph our business to be what people want today? And so they'll hire you to come in. You'll say, hey, I wish I knew. You'll have them answer the question, I wish I knew. They'll say, what the heck our customers want from us? And then you guys go out and try to figure out. Then you start interviewing customers and you start interviewing people, maybe not even saying we're with TGA Fridays, but just saying, hey, what are you guys looking for right now in a restaurant? And then you take that data back to the company so that they can go, well, we can do, we can maybe meet some of this or maybe we can't or, you know, that type of thing, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, you can think of it in terms of like three different kinds of consumer groups. Uh, one would be current customers. Um, one would be uh, kind of past customers or lapsed customers. And then one would be um, non-customers. And they're all going to have different needs and things that they like or don't like about the brand. And, you know, I can really dig into current customers, you know, and what is it about Bennigan's that really stands out and what, what, where, where is the brand falling short? And likewise, with customers that used to go but aren't going anymore, you know, what happened? Um, 
what would it take for you to get back to being a customer? And, you know, you kind of look at uh, how those, what are the similarities and differences in those responses that I get from those different groups and, you know, can start planning from there. And, you know, the, if you think about the, the easiest, I guess the easiest way is to get current customers to come back a little bit more often. So what is it that you can do to increase frequency um, among that group? And then for LAPS customers, you know, what can we do to get them to come in the door again and give us a try again? Uh, and sometimes it's the same thing and sometimes it's different. And, you know, it's typically the most cost efficient is to try to drive frequency because um, small changes in frequency typically add to big business um, improvements. Uh, and then the kind of the next level of um, cost efficiency in, in changes, um, whether it's just messaging changes or, um, you know, product or, or, or atmosphere changes um, are those labs customers and getting to come back. And then the toughest ones are the ones that are, you can think of it like aware non-triers or people who have tried, but it's been it's been you know a number of years since they've been back. Um, those are the toughest ones to go after because they typically are looking for um, more major changes. But you know changes that are made that go after those first two groups, the current customers and the last lapsed customers will um, you know inevitably also impact um, that third group. But it's it's really trying to identify you know where the misses. Um, and in addition to focusing just on the client brand, I think it's always helpful to include a couple of top competitors in the category just because, um, you know, not only do you want to know here's like the five things that we could do from the research, but out of those five things, here are the two things that these other guys aren't doing. And so that will make us a little bit more unique and give people a reason to come to us because we don't want to just advertise changes that um, that work for us and our competitors. We want to we want to really be focusing on these changes that are um, specific and unique to our brand. Let's say I'm a I got four restaurants here in Denver, right? Because we're both in Colorado. So I got four restaurants here in Denver. So maybe I don't even do advertise. Maybe I'm not doing traditional advertising, but that advertising could be in-store advertising with posters and menu changes could it be social media advertising as well just block you know i could do it doesn't i don't necessarily have to be like you know a fortune 500 restaurant chain with billion dollar advertising budget i mean you could still write uh, my you know I'm, you sort of i'm kind of getting at there yeah yeah i think that um i mean in this you know in this day and age with um the way technology is moving everything the way that you know social media is is so big and um, you know just reaches almost everybody, um, it, it is something that lets those small companies uh, compete because it's 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 you know you don't have to buy you know you don't have to produce or buy radio TV you know the creative side can be a lot uh, more cost efficient and so you know the, the way things going with the way social media is, it's almost like companies have to um, tailor, almost tailoring their message to the individual consumer. And so, you know, being able to understand what people are looking for, it doesn't matter if you're a one unit, a four unit, or a 10,000 unit business, you have to 
um, you know, you have to understand what the consumers want so that you can talk to them in a way that's going to get them to get off the couch and um, go to your restaurant or drive past two other, three other choices on their way to your restaurant. Um, you sure. can't just, I don't think you can just sit back and hope that, you know, people notice you when they're getting bombarded by ads, whether it's on websites or, um, you know, even coming in on phones now or however, however the message gets out there. Sure. Awesome. Hey, so let's move on to question two. Great answer for question one, by the way. Uh, what is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? Um, I just kind of uh, pretty close to wrapping up. I was working with a, a brand that's been around for about 30 years and um, has just kind of grown tired and outdated. Uh, and you know, they recognize the need to breathe new life into their brand. And so, um, I actually partnered with uh, a strategy company and a, um, I don't know how best to call them, a, and a branding agency um, to really dig into the consumer and try to understand and, and develop, um, you know, a new brand for this company. Uh, they're in a really competitive market right now, fast casual. Um, and, you know, them being around for so long can really make it difficult to um, sometimes compete with, you know, if there's new brands popping up all, all the time, and especially in the Denver market. We, I don't know if there's that many coming up everywhere, but being in Denver, you see all of these fast casual companies starting up. And for some reason, Denver's become a hotbed for that, or maybe almost like an incubator for that. Um, and so, you know, it, it was really trying to understand, you know, what drives the fast casual segment, um, what a consumer is looking for through product, through experience, through distribution, um, you know, the, the, the atmosphere, service, really all, all levels of the business and try to see, you know, without fundamentally changing this company and their brand, but how can we update it and really just breathe new life into it and give people a reason to come back. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it, it's been a really interesting process. And, um, you know, we came up with a few different ideas that or potential directions to take the company. And um, so just recently put those ideas in front of consumers. So we spent a lot of time understanding the category with consumers in the first round of research, developing these new concepts or ideas, and then taking them back out to consumers to see, you know, what's going to move the needle, uh, not just not just from a, you know, straight business standpoint, like, you know, which which concept is going to drive the highest visit intent. But it's but it's so many layers beneath that. It's really understanding um, you know, is there is there more of an emotional connection or hook to um, some of the concepts versus just being more functional? Because you know, in my experience, consumers they make purchases emotionally, but they always justify it rationally. And so it's really easy to say, yeah, I want to go to this. I like this idea because it sounds like the food would taste best, but 
you know, if you can get those emotional hooks into consumers, those things that really, um, you know, attract them and, and make them feel good about the brand and themselves using that brand, then I think it builds for a stronger um, business proposition going forward. So, you know, it's really been, it's been a great process. Um, and, you know, just being able to, you know, to see um, when you get people who've been, you know, in the company for 10, 15, 20 years, it's really easy to be so focused within the four walls of your restaurant that you don't look outside. And, you know, I, I brought that perspective of looking at consumers outside of their business to them and to show them that, you know, making changes like X, Y, and Z uh, can really be impactful. And it's, you know, something that's not just um, changing portion sizes or, or small things. It's really looking at fundamentally making some exciting and new changes that um, put them on a better competitive footing. Well, you, you see that emotional hook all the time with uh, spaghetti sauce like your mom used to make or like your grandma used to make. People trying to take you back to that feeling of a being, you know, of family and love and, you know, these big meals, which depending on how your family is might be horrifying. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that that's really, that's super interesting. Um and also, too, like I think people who haven't worked in a big system, like you were at Boston Market and I was at Quiznos, and I know at Quiznos we were refreshing the restaurants. And I mean, you know, even like a small change to the brand, like right now, the one that I've noticed recently is Qdoba. Well, actually, there's two that I've noticed recently that are changing, but for different reasons, I think. Qdoba's rebranding right now. So they've gone to like this yellow sign. They're a big competitor of Chipotle, right? And they've gone to this new yellow sign, and they're they're more taco focused uh, now than they've ever been. It seems like. Uh, and uh, but I mean, when you have five hundred, two hundred, five hundred thousands of restaurants, even doing small changes to the restaurants becomes a massive undertaking, right? Like changing a sign. So not just relying on, oh, if we update our logo, then everyone will think of Qdoba as something brand new. You know, it's right. it's going to that deeper level. And like you said, not just changing portion sizes and stuff, because in a big system, even changing a portion size on chicken might require a 10 or 12 month lead time so that your chicken producers can get you enough of those chickens. I mean, people don't like to think of it like this way, but there's only X amount of chicken thighs in the world. You know, and everybody's competing to get those and, you know, whatever. So it's interesting to try to go for that emotional hook versus just saying, hey, throw a new sign on the building because a sign can be several thousand bucks and to get 5,000 of those produced and then also to get your franchisees to agree to pay the money to put them up and buy them versus you, you know, buying them. I mean, that's all a lot of work. So that's a very interesting take on it. Um, well, and just so I was going to say, you know, just because um, you're looking for this emotional hook doesn't mean that it's not going to uh, result sure. in recommended recommendations for, you know, sure. yeah, big expensive changes to the restaurant. Um, you know, you just have to, you know, there's, I think, I think you look at it as a process. So, you know, before you, before you realize how much it's going to cost, you know, there's always short-term changes that start moving you in the right direction and um, as you're planning for the bigger and bigger ones you still you got to keep the brand moving in the right direction so it's not like 
um, I give a recommendation, and then all of a sudden the clients necessarily drop in you know millions of dollars to make changes. But um, it is, I think, important that to start moving in the right direction as quickly as you can because you know there's a reason that you're undertaking this task, and it is because things are soft or uh, worse than soft, and you know you need to, to turn the business. And so you know that's the, you know really important is to understand that there's different levels of change that all work towards the same goal. Sorry, my mic cut out there for a split second. That was weird. Um, yeah, no, that's true. Uh, and I, I totally agree with your point there. I was trying to talk it and it was like being goofy. I don't know what was going on. Um, so let's move on to question number three. Uh, what is the one thing? Oh, sorry. No, we changed question number three. Duh, it's right here in front of me. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so we were chatting ahead of time, and because we wanted to change question number three to give you guys a little bit more cool data that you could take out of the podcast, really. So, uh, the question number three, the new question number three, is quick and if you were, and you could put yourself in. You know, it could be a, I run a hundred restaurants or I run five. It doesn't really matter. But if you were sitting there, uh, you run these restaurants and you've got two big new menu items that you want, you're trying to decide what should be my next big LTO or what should be my next special. Um, how are you in a quick and dirty way going to get some data to try to justify that, right? Obviously, they can spend the money to go with you, and, and they should. But at the same time, some of these guys probably don't have – like, they're sitting there right now. Turkey sandwiches or whatever else, beef sandwiches, and they both tested well or they both look great. How do I make that quick and dirty decision? What are some things they can do? Yeah, I think that the um, – probably the easiest – maybe not the easiest, but probably the best is, you know, tested in – a couple of locations. If you have, you know, if you're someone who has 100 locations, just do a very small in-restaurant test where, you know, either either you put it up on the menu for people to purchase, or you or you can try sampling. And you know, at the most basic level, if if I had restaurants, you know, I would I would be you know really comfortable, and I'd, I'd want to know for myself. And so, you know, I would put myself in the restaurant and. If it's up on the menu board when someone orders it, you know, I kind of just keep an eye on them. And when they're done eating or close to done eating, you know, ask if I could have a seat with them and talk to them about the experience. Um, if, I, if, if it's not up on the menu, I can sample it and do the same thing and just to get some quick feedback. And, you know, it's, it's more, it'll be more qualitative that way, but it'll give you that sense of, you know, if, if, if there's one, uh, if, if there's a couple of products, you know, if one is just that much better than the other as far as, you know, what your goal is. And, and, and that's the key thing with any research is understanding the goal before you go in. So, you know, the goal could be to, um, you know, bring in new customers. And in that case, it's, you know, is this item going to be something that, you know, my typical customer is not necessarily uh, interested in, but maybe their kids would be if it's a, if it's a, a meal that's something focused towards kids. Or, you know, if, if I'm a, 
if, if I typically serve heavier food and I have something lighter because I want to, you know, it's really easy for like, if I'm a group of four people and three of us want to go to a restaurant, but the fourth one is on a diet or whatever, and there's no salads available, for example, you know, that's four people that aren't coming to my restaurant now just because of one. So, you know, it's trying to, trying to understand, you know, the people who are coming in, what they want. And that's the easiest way is just sit down and talk to my customers. Um, you know, more, obviously there's, there's more, um, um, you know, well, the better way to do it would be to talk to an expert like me. And, you know, I think about it like this, a couple of summers ago, I, um, refinished my basement and, um, I could have done it myself and it probably would have come out okay. Um, it probably would have taken me a lot longer and probably would have been more costly uh, in the end than it was because I hired an expert um, and it came out beautiful and the walls are perfect and everything looks true and um, you know and now I can enjoy it and I can uh, my family can enjoy it but if I were to have done it myself um, because I'm um, somewhat handy but certainly you know nothing would have been perfect and I probably would keep I'd probably still be working on finishing it and doing small things here and there. So, you know, you can do things yourself and think that you'll save some money in hiring someone. But at the end of the day, if you don't get the right answers or the right results, then was it truly worth it? For sure. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because I was our last company. We were consultants and, you know, and you're a consultant, you know, and it's like I always tell I always would tell people everything costs what it costs like i can't charge you more than the market will allow me right and if you and so if you do it yourself just like you were saying with the basement that there's a cost to that it's maybe not a dollar cost it might be a time cost it might be a bad information cost it might be that you know something that i can do in two weeks of really focused energy is going to take you six or eight months and then what's the opportunity cost of that six to eight months where you didn't have the right information. So, you know what I mean? It's like one of those deals where it, like you can only charge what the market allows you to charge and the market's telling you it's X amount of bucks. And if you do it internally, it will end up costing you the same thing just over time or opportunity or lost sales or whatever. So, you know, cause everybody gets right. hung up on paying somebody for something, right? Well, you know, but then you demand, you want your customers to pay you for something like you wouldn't, Give them a free soda or, you know, or you're not giving away free desserts all day long, every day. So you're right. And there's, you know, there's so many tools out there now um, for doing free surveys. And, um, you know, so it's the time of writing the questionnaire and programming it into these online tools and um, then, you know, going out and figuring out how to get people to actually go to the survey and take it and then do the analysis. And, you know, a lot of that stuff is, you know, it's not rocket science in some ways. And um, a lot of, you know, you can really, in a basic way, get the answers that you, know, you might hope to, to get. But um, if you're not writing questions the right way, then you're not going to get the right answers or the answers that you're hoping to get. Um, a lot of time I've seen, um, you know, it's really easy to fall into a trap where you're writing questions that are very leading, and so you're going to get the answers that you want to get, 
even though that might not be the real answers that consumers would tell you had you asked the question the right way. And so, you know, I, like I said, I've been doing this for a long time and I, um, there, there is a benefit and a, and a cost efficiency to expertise that, um, that a lot of people, you know, maybe miss and don't, don't think is that important. And, and you know, you know I, I wish them luck and I hope that things work out the right way, but, um, you know, more times than not, you know, you hear that things didn't go the right way. And I have gotten calls from clients saying, hey, we tried this, um, you know, can you help us? And, and with other clients, I know that they want to do some things internally, and I'm happy to, um, you know, at least, you know, give them some of my time just to, just to help them because I know that they can't hire anyone at the time. And, you know, it, sometimes money is the limitation and they're willing to put in the time. And so I'm happy to help them in that way. Uh, you know, knowing that it's it's all about building relationships and, um, you know, I talk about being a vendor or having clients, but I really try to build relationships that are more partnerships um, so they, you know, so, so the people that I work with, you know, they know that I'm gaining expertise in their specific business and there's a value to that as well for, um, you know, keeping that partnership or relationship going. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, but I did like just the, I love that idea of, because, you know, just, yeah, get in the restaurants and just watch what people are doing. Just observe, you know, put, put the two item menu board up right next to each other. You know, go to Kinko's and make one, put it up, see if people stop, see what people are ordering and then, and then use that data. That's a quick, easy way. And you can do that in a couple of days in a couple of restaurants. And then you'll, and you know, I mean, it could be as simple as, you know, just pulling those uh, register tapes at the end of the day and saying, hey, we sold 60 chickens, you know, versus 20 cheesesteaks. So there we go. We're doing right. chicken sandwiches. At the base level, you know, that's the easiest way to see um, if, 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 if one idea is outperforming the other. And, you know, what a lot of companies are doing now and um, what I've done with, uh, uh, with some companies too is you know because surveys now being online are really easy you can load them on tablets and you know i could have a couple of tablets in my restaurant with um with a survey on there and i see someone ordering an item that i'm interested in and just give them the tablet and ask them to fill out a you know shoot it could be three minutes could be five minute survey that they're just doing at the table while they're there and then i'm getting real-time feedback as well and over time, as I build up the you know the number of people doing that, um, you know I, I then start to have real quantifiable data that I can be looking at. Um, and those are things that you know the the restaurant owner or um, you know, multi-unit manager or owner doesn't have to be the one that's out there. That's something that they can um, have their staff do as well. Uh, again, I would recommend that um, you know a professional would probably get better results, but, you know, to be the most cost effective, there's no reason why the staff wouldn't know who's ordering what and can go to a specific customer and, and ask them if they would provide their feedback. And it could be for as simple as a free soda on their next visit or, or something like that. For sure, for sure. 
Um, so what is the one thing that you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? And I'm referring us to the restaurant industry. Sure. You know, I gave this one some thought and uh, it was, it's the trickiest because, you know, there's so much variety out there right now um, that I do see, you know, a lot of uh, newness and a lot of, you know, um, the things I would have thought about, you know, hey, this this is an area to, to work on. But you know, one of the thing, one of the things I'm that that's definitely coming up, and I think that you know, instead of answering what are they not doing now, I would kind of more see it as like a trend that um, companies are starting to do right now, or at least starting to really talk about. And for some of the larger companies, it's going to take a while, and it'll be interesting to see how differentiating and um, you know, engaging with customers it can be, but it's all, I, I, you know, there's this trend toward clean menus, and I see Panera doing some advertising around that, and, um, you know, some of the other larger chains are, are starting to talk about taking uh, artificial ingredients, preservatives out of their foods. Um, certainly, you know, Chipotle now for a long time has been talking about their, um, um, you know, the proteins that they're that they're serving and having no antibiotics or growth hormones and you know, being all natural and clean. Um, I see that also extending into packaging for some companies, but for for others, you know, they're not talking about it or thinking about it as far as I know, uh, or making any changes in that regard. And I think that um, you know, as like you know, there's there's no Things like that, you know, there's no like the downside, there's no real downside with consumers, I don't think, except if there's big cost implications. But there's so many people who are more and more focused, um, you know, on uh, having clean food and sustainable packaging that, um, you know, that's something that can override, I think, consumers' worries about, um, you know, the healthfulness of. Of certain items or, or food types that you know, hey, if I'm doing something right, it's kind of that emotional hook that we were talking about. If I can show people that uh, I'm doing these things because I want my food to be better for my customers, and I want the uh, the implications go far beyond just the food I'm serving to my customers, but it's you know environmental or it's um, you know helping. Um, farmers or ranchers or things in that way, then I think that, you know, that's, that can be that emotional hook that's really important. And more and more companies are talking about it. Sure. And I think, you know, I, I look at, I'm sorry, I, I look at like Chipotle, you know, being kind of at the forefront of that. And when you talked about Qdoba before and doing their rebranding, getting into tacos more, really interesting flavors um, mixing into to tacos that they're doing. I think that, you know, Chipotle owns that that um, you know the, the no antibiotics, no hormones, natural needs, and so keto. But you know, they, there's no reason for them to go specifically after that same uh, messaging. And so they're looking at bringing more excitement to the menu, more variety. And I think that that's a really important um, you know thing to recognize is if they say the same thing as Chipotle, it's not really 
going to be empowering for them or giving them anything differentiated. Um, but it's still something that they can talk about, just not as their primary message. Well, and you uh, you brought up so many things in that answer that I wanted to mention, but like Jack Trout, who's like the father of branding, if you will, but he would tell you like, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have when like Volvo owns safety, Chipotle owns natural meat in the Mexican burrito space and Qdoba could literally spend a billion dollars trying to get people to convince people that they had safe meats, but in every, in the consumer's brain, Chipotle owns that, you know what I mean? Like they own it. And so you could literally spend as much money as you want. You're not like, it's like that connection's already been formed in the consumer's mind. And you're probably not going to supplant that. The best you could do, the the biggest win you could do in that space probably would be uh, Chipotle has natural meats. And I think Qdoba does too. But it's like such a, a waste of time and money trying to unseat that association that was made by the consumer that it's just better to say you can put it on your menu so that it makes people feel good when they see your menu board, but you you should try to lure them in with something else, right? Because you're not going to win that. And that's if you look at the Chipotle Qdoba story, because what a lot of people don't know is that Qdoba used to be called Zteca, and they started in Denver at the same time that Chipotle did, and they chose uh, they chose to go with the menu variety route. When, so when Chipotle said, we do chicken, steak, you know, uh, barbacoa, and carnita burritos, that's when Zteca that became Qdoba said, okay, well, we're going to have queso, we're going to have 20 different sauces, we're going to have soup, you know. They went and just expanded the menu so that they could compete. And, you know, I think they do a nice job of it, too. So, Yeah, and, and you're right that they can also talk about, you know, having all natural proteins, but that's not what they're going to be known for. But it's also, you know, they, they don't have to blast that out there, but if they get the word out and their customers recognize it, then, you know, if someone's trying to debate between the two, um, you know, it, it kind of it – kind of, um, eliminates a potential veto of Qdoba because someone might know, yeah, they also have yeah. natural meats, even though it's not what they're shouting. For sure. Yeah, and you had mentioned too, like the environmental and like the natural meats and stuff. And it, you know, I mean, personally me, and I don't know how many other people feel this way. And obviously I don't spend a billion hours researching all this stuff either. But like, uh, you know, it, I feel like there's like, and it's with global warming, it's with all these, uh, you know, antibiotics and hormones and, and the meats and it's in the packaging. I really, because they're so politicized, I really don't know what's right and what's wrong on some of this stuff. Because if I choose to look at like, you know, this website, they'll tell me this is right. And this website will tell me completely contradictory information. Dieting's the same thing. You know, they're all kind of these things where you kind of wear your personality your personality type leads you, maybe it's conservative, maybe it's liberal, maybe it's something else. You can go find the information that you want to see. And so like we had seen an article last year on Chipotle and how they weren't going to use, you know, certain meat from the, like, because these people were using antibiotics, but then the farmers were out there going, well, when you get sick, you go get antibiotics. So if I have a cow who gets like an infection and I give it antibiotics, it's not because I'm like trying to boost its weight. I'm just trying to do the right thing by the cow. 
and get it healthy, you know? And also I guess the right thing by my investment because I'm trying to get this cow healthy again, but there'll be antibiotics in those meats. So, you know, I find that that stuff's super confusing as a consumer personally. And, uh, but I do like the idea, but I guess I do feel, and I I feel better about knowing that like there aren't extra, like I want to know that the meat doesn't have like extra chemicals in there to do something, right? But I, I do want the meat to be healthy when they slaughter it so that, you know, it would, in theory, I'll be healthier by eating it. Or does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think that, you know, different people have different levels of involvement. Uh, Yeah. You know, for the most part, yeah, it's keep it simple. And, um, you know, if you can talk all natural, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to go into all of the detail um, to, to probably allay um, you know, the majority's fears, you know, yeah. just, just, it is about keep, unless, unless you're, you know, really resting on that, you know, like, so like Chipotle can go into more depth because that's one of their big messages, but otherwise, I, yeah, I think just, you know, you keep it simple. Sure. I would like to see on a side note, this is my own personal thing. I would like to see the industry and I think you are seeing it. Um, but I would like to see the industry move to more uh, eco-friendly, more recyclable packaging, corn plastics, those kinds of things, mainly just because we go through so much stuff. I mean, we like, you know, we crank through just the sheer volume of napkins and ramp, uh, plastic ramekin cups and, you know, that the industry uses on a daily basis is insane. And I mean, we could, and I mean, you know, you saw McDonald's do it when they moved away from styrofoam back in the 80s. I mean, you know, I think the whole industry could follow along that. I think we'd be pretty good. So we're coming up here on our last question. Can you recount a really funny thing that you uh, in your career that happened or some really funny insights you got from data from doing this that, you know, that the people would enjoy? Um, Well, when you. uh, When you um, said the question to me, it was funniest or worst thing that happened. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, that was a tough one because, you know, it's market research. How funny can it be? Um, <laughs> but I, I, maybe, maybe it's a gallows humor funny thing, but I, I remember um, being, at, being at a job and I had about a $2 million annual research budget. Um, which was great because the company really cared about it and really believed in the research. So, you know, what a great environment to be working in. And um, then things in the business weren't going so well. And I, I just remember the day, and it was a long time ago, where um, my CEO came and talked to, um, you know, people who were responsible for budgets and said, all right, I need you to go through your budget and eliminate um, everything that's not absolutely required for running the business. And, you know, I just remember sitting there, putting a red line through just about everything I did, because while it was really important and beneficial to the business, in in my opinion, when you get right down to uh, how necessary is it for operating business um, I couldn't I couldn't say this is a must-have this is a must-have at that point and um, 
so I, I, I just remember sitting there saying, I am in the process of writing myself out of a job. I, <laughs> how, what are they going to have me do after I get done with this? And, you know, I cut my budget from like $2 million to $150,000. Um, and so, you know, so sitting right, sitting there, I was like, okay, this is it for me. Um, but what really ended up happening was, you know, it was obvious the, it was obvious that, that research consumer insights was now no longer a full-time job there. And it got me into other areas of marketing and, you know, I developed a customer database that we could then email out to. And this was in the um, early 2000s. So it was something that was brand new for the company and um, ended up being, um, you know, really successful. Um, but what it did for me personally uh, and professionally was it gave me insights not only into, um, you know, what what else I could do, but it gave me insight into how my customers, whether they're you know, internal on the corporate side or my clients and customers today, but it, how they use data, um, how they would use the research that I'm producing, which I think made me a much better um, a, a much better researcher and so a much more valuable partner uh, in that. You know, I know now not just it's not just like handing off data, but it's really providing insights that are actionable and putting it in language that marketers or whoever I'm working with, it could be operators or marketers or um, people in finance, but in language that they understand. It's not just more technical research language. So, you know, it, it was a very memorable, memorably dark day, um, but in retrospect, you know, it gave me skills and kind of took me out of my comfort zone to really expand my career and um, make me, I think, a much more valuable resource today than than I might have otherwise been. Yeah, cool. That's funny. Writing yourself out of jobs never fun. Um, could so real quick. Thank you so much for being on, Rob. Do you want to promote Trajectory Insights and tell people where to go and uh, all that cool stuff? Um. Sure. Um, sorry, the company name is so long, but uh, our website is uh, www.trajectory-insights.com. Um, our phone number is 303-931-0957. Um, you know, I would be great to hear from anyone who is interested in some of the things I had to say, whether it's just to ask me some questions or to talk about issues they might not be having or the issues they might be having um you know the the um the part of my job that i prefer not to do although it's one of the most important is marketing myself and uh so um i love having conversations more so than trying to sell anybody anything uh so again if you have any Anyone has any questions or wants some more information, yeah, go to my website or give me a call. And, uh, it's always fun to talk to people in the restaurant industry. Well, cool, man. And I'll put your, I'll link to your website and your, uh, I'll put the link to the website in the show notes and, uh, we will, and we will, uh, and that way people can just click the link and get right in. Okay. So they'll be able to click over and, and I'll put your email address in there too, if you'd like. 
That'd so, be great. Awesome. Hey, Rob, I really want to thank you for taking the time today. I hope that our customers learned, I mean, our customers, our uh, listeners learned something new about uh, doing market research because it's not something that, you know, at the, at the you know, smaller restaurant level, a lot of people are familiar with. So really appreciate you being on the show today. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. It was a lot of fun. Take care. Bye-bye.